Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And before we begin our show today, I want to remind you, as I always do, that there is a website, wealthformula.com, that is associated with this podcast. Lots of good resources there, things you can join, downloads, that kind of thing. Anyway, go check it out. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, today, but let's talk a little bit about the uh, concept of clean energy. I think that's kind of interesting, right? It turns out that the conversation about getting out of fossil fuels and into green energy is a lot more complicated than just energy. Of course, black gold has literally fueled our society into uh, its wealthiest uh, state since the beginning of man, and no one argues that, but there is a clear movement globally to try to move to a cleaner energy for the sake of the environment. Now, beyond energy, though, however, it's, oil plays a pivotal role in the manufacture of several products that we rely on in our daily lives. For example, the petrochemical industry heavily depends on oil as raw material. So petrochemicals derived from oil and natural gas are building blocks for lots of different goods, uh, from plastics to resins, synthetics, rubbers, detergents, adhesives, blah, 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 go on and on and on. Without these materials, basically, you wouldn't even have the ability to uh, make the computer or smartphone or whatever it is that you're, you know, listening to this podcast on. Right now, we literally need oil to live. Many pharmaceuticals, such as aspirin and the coatings on time-released pills, are all made from oil derivatives. Um, you've got artificial heart valves, artificial limbs, even contact lenses. I could give you a myriad of other products that rely on oil, but suffice it to say that life without these products, it really would not be that great. Anyway, does that mean we should give up on alternative energy? No, no, that's not what we're saying here. We should always really be looking for cheaper and cleaner alternatives. I mean, there's, I mean, it's just, there's an economic reason for that. Beyond the, the climate and everything else, there's, you know, getting cheaper, cleaner alternatives makes sense, right? The point, though, is that to truly get off fossil fuels, if that's the intent is, we also need to start thinking about alternatives for all the products that rely on oil as well. It's an underappreciated problem, and it's a uh, topic that my guest on this week's Wealth Formula podcast addresses pretty well. And we will have that interview for you after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility 
It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Ronald Stein. He's an author and energy consultant and founder of uh, PTS Advance. Uh, Ron has developed one of the most successful and innovative family-owned professional services firms in California, uh, known as a leader in delivering staffing solutions to major oil refineries. The business supports uh, a ranging of staffing, consulting, project services, and business process outsourcing solutions to the nationwide energy and infrastructure and life sciences industries. He's, all, he's a co-author of the Pulitzer Prize-nominated book, Clean Energy Exploitations, uh, and uh, and a uh, an expert in this space. So, Ronald, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Buck, glad to be aboard. So, um, I want to talk to you about, obviously, what we're going to talk about is your specialty, in, you know, it's oil and gas and, and uh, fossil fuels, Obviously, this is an area that gets people kind of riled up on both sides, but there's sometimes there are some facts involved as well, right? So um, first thing I want to talk a little bit about or ask you about is the demand for fossil fuels. And why is it that we live in this environment where it seems that, um, you know, th that there's this tremendous uh, uh, support from the government and policy to work to eliminate fossil fuels, but at the same time, fossil fuels right now are at an essentially an all-time high in terms of value. You have to understand that the big push today is wind and solar, but the world is recognizing that wind and solar only generate electricity. They manufacture nothing for society. And uh, Sweden, I guess, bought into that and basically abandoned the wind and solar idea and uh, basically going back to fossil fuels. Because I, I would love to get rid of fossil fuels, but there's no replacement in mind. There's, there's nothing to produce the products. You know, today through our ingenuity, we get a lot of oil derivatives that get manufactured out of oil because you have to understand oil by itself. It's 100% useless. Oh, it is black goo. But when it goes through a manufacturing process through a refinery, we get many things. We get a lot of oil derivatives that makes everything in our society. Um, you know, you look in your office, look in your home, look in the hospital, look anywhere. Try and find something, something that was not made with those oil derivatives. Could, could you drill down on that a little bit? Because I don't, that's something I don't really know about and maybe our, our audience doesn't know about because like what, what kinds of things when you talk about oil derivatives, 
um, are you talking about? Like, what what are some daily examples in our lives? All the chemicals, all the chemicals that come out of the oil, because a lot of you know hydrogen components and carbon components. But you know, wind and solar can manufacture none of what you see in your office. They can manufacture none of what you see in the hospital. And you know, the two greatest inventions in the in the world were the light bulb and the telephone. But they're both made with oil derivatives manufactured from oil. You get rid of take take the wind turbines. All the parts and components of wind turbines are made with oil. Same thing with solar panels. Same thing with EV. The EV is one hundred percent made with fossil fuels. And, tell us, I, I guess, just again to give us a sense of how give how does that work? I mean, when you say. Um, you know, the, the EV is uh, made with 100% fossil fuels. Can you explain that? Yes, all the uh, electronics, all the components. Uh, remember, electricity by itself can charge your iPhone. Yeah. But it, but it cannot make your iPhone. Right. It makes the defibrillator in the hospital work, but it can't make the defibrillator. So the materials. It can't make tires. Yeah. So the materials themselves require fossil fuels is what you're saying. So there's the energy component, but then there's a material component. Is that right? Right. Right. I I don't like to talk about energy. I like to talk about products and electricity. Sure. Sure. Because everything, think about everything in this world needs electricity. Everything that needs electricity is made with fossil fuels. From your television, your iPhones, you know, on and on and on, everything in the hospital. And, but wind and solar can only generate electricity. So I, I try and energy is, I guess, a confusing subject, especially with politicians, because they think wind and solar can replace fossil fuels. But they do, they do two different things. They only produce electricity where oil, oil by itself, is never used to generate electricity, it's only used to generate products or the chemicals for the products and the fuels. We have different fuels for automobiles, trucks, airlines, the space program, all the electronics and the, the space shuttle. It's all made with fossil fuel oil derivatives. So, you know, I, I tell people we had a zero emission society back in the 1800s. There were no coal-fired power plants. There were no natural gas power plants. There was no nuclear power plants. The Beverly Hillbillies hadn't discovered oil yet. And so, but life was hard. People only lived to about 40 years of age. And when they were born, they very seldom traveled 100 miles from where they were born. They had no products that we have today. And all those products are made with the oil derivatives from oil. And we have yet to identify a replacement. Yeah. So you're um, okay. Is and 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 to the extent that we're talking about again, we're we're trying to uh, we're separating this into electricity and ultimately products that are derivatives of fossil fuels. What you're saying is is um, you know pretty much everything around us and a lot of chemicals that are uh, derivatives of fossil fuels are you know at this point in time, impossible to, uh, to replace. Is that fair? 
I wouldn't say impossible. We had, we've had 200 years to come up with a replacement. We haven't done it yet. Right, right. So, um, okay, well, that's fair. Now, so let's talk a little bit about the, um, you know, I guess the relationship between the sectors, the energy sectors, the oil and gas versus renewables. They're pretty hostile, right, in general. Um, based on what you just told us in terms of the, the need for the products. Why is that? I mean, is there a future where all the forms of energy will be embraced and they'll understand that maybe you do need some level during this transition process? Well, Buck, remember that the world populated from one to eight billion people in less than 200 years, right after the discovery of oil, basically, because today we have the products that we didn't have before. And, you know, the wealthy countries, you, you take the United States, UK, Germany, Australia, uh, they basically are enjoying all these products that the developing countries are not. They haven't joined the Industrial Revolution yet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're burning cow dunk, you know, for heat. Yeah. And uh, they would love to have, I know all the politicians want everybody to have electricity, but electricity is useless because everything that needs electricity is made of fossil fuels. And so that, that's a conundrum because, you know, it's like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, you know, before I get rid of fossil fuels, what's the replacement? Because the, I guess the confusion and the error in society is they're comparing wind and solar against oil, but they do two different things. Right. But I think even at the policy level, it doesn't seem like that distinction is being made really. Right. I mean, you would think you would it's think not, at the it's policy. Not understood. Level. Yeah. It's, it's not, not understood. understood. So I what mean, do we do about that? President Biden. Take President Biden. Yeah. He's flying around in a 400 ton airplane, hundred percent made with fossil fuels, all the electronics, all the, you know, uh, seats, all the interior components is made with fossil fuels. It's powered by aviation fuel, which comes from, you know, uh, manufactured crude oil. And he's screaming in the microphone, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and presumably there may be a day when that is possible. I mean, what you're talking about is, you know, we've got the electricity, maybe you've got the electricity component, but we don't have a, a uh, replacement for the products. Well, remember that electricity, you know, when Graham Bell, you know, invented the uh, light bulb and everything, electricity came after, and that's a key word, A-F-T-E-R, after crude oil. Sure. Because crude oil basically made the light bulb. Crude oil basically made the telephone, still makes the telephone. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, if you get rid of fossil fuels, you're going to get rid of wind turbines because all the components are made with fossil fuels. You're going to get rid of solar panels because all the components are made with fossil fuels. You're going to get rid of EVs because all the vehicles, uh, you know, gasoline car, as well as, you know, EVs are made with fossil fuels. So we, we really got to focus on, is there a backup plan? Now the industry by itself, I, I think has done a, a great job of improving its efficiencies and, um, you know, you take a look at the early 1900s, you know, cars were smoking terribly, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, refiners smoking terribly. You look at a 
refinery today and see all the emissions coming up, all that white stuff, it's steam. Right. Right. It's steam and it's just evaporating. You know, I I look at it when I had a car, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you open the hood, you can put three of your buddies under the hood. That's how much room was there. Yeah. I have a Mercedes now. I open up the hood. I can't put a sandwich in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much yeah. environmental controls on it. Right. So sure. the vehicles are a lot cleaner. People, are, I think, are becoming more um, efficient and conservative. Uh, we don't want to waste the stuff, obviously. Uh, so conservation is going to be key and continue to increase efficiencies. But, you know, we don't want to live like they did in the 1800s. And they lived in the 1800s without fossil fuels. And I don't really want to go back to that kind of living arrangement. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a major um, argument, I think, on the side of people who are, you know, I guess you want to call it pro-fossil fuel or whatever, that at the end of the day, I think, the the uh, there is a lack of acknowledgement on the on the renewable side of the fact that we are in society now because of fossil fuels um, we have the wealth we have in this country and this world and developing nations because of fossil fuels and so you know understand that and okay maybe we need to maybe we need to transition but we're not there yet but um Let's talk a little bit about also some of the different kinds of um, energy, other types of electricity. I mean, well, first of all, let me ask you this. Emission-wise, you mentioned back when you had that car where you could put a bunch of buddies in the trunk, which sounds like a, a movie I saw <laughs> involving the <laughs> mafia. Under the hood. Under the hood. <laughs> but um, do you have a sense of like what? how emissions from the United States have, um, how they have gone up over the last, you know, the trend has been over the last, say, 30, 40 years? Well, before I answer that question, um, I'm not pro-oil, I'm pro-products. Pro-products, yeah. And if you provide another solution to provide the products that we have today, right? hey, I'm, I'm all for it. Got it. Um, like I say, we've had you know, a couple hundred years to come up with a replacement. We're still working on it. And um, so electricity is not going to replace the products. Yeah. Um, but you talk about emissions. Let's take a look at, you know, the, the wealthy countries that are pushing this, this green movement. You have, uh, you know, the United States, UK, Germany, Australia. Um, they are representing about 7% of the world. The other 93%, dominated by China, India, African countries, they're, they're living on coal-fired power plants. And they're building like almost one a day because coal is abundant, it's reliable, it's inexpensive, they have no income. You know, the world's got 8 billion people, but of those 8 billion, 80% of them are living on less than $10 a day. They can't subsidize themselves out of a paper bag. Right. And so they're just trying to provide, you know, some means of, uh, I guess, opportunities to, to get out of the poor conditions they're in. And, you know, going to wind and solar, uh, since they're only intermittent electricity, it doesn't replace the fossil fuels generating electricity because you need a backup plan. When the wind's not blowing, sun's not shining, 
They're not generating electricity. Take Germany. They eliminated their nuclear power plants. They eliminated their coal-fired power plants. And now Germany has the highest cost of electricity in the world. And businesses can't invest in right. a business. They need reliable electricity versus intermittent electricity. And so all you're doing is building a second generating facility because if you want continuous uninterruptible electricity, you need something reliable. And so Germany is now importing electricity because they used to be a, an exporter. Now they're importers. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, like that's the, the thing that bothers me the most is people are confusing. I, I don't like to talk about the word energy. I like to talk about electricity or you want to talk about products. Right. Well, I mean, the, I guess the question is, could you, could you reduce the amount of, um, uh, you know, fossil fuels if you focus on them specifically for the purpose of products um, and focus on uh, electricity using renewables? I mean, is there, is there some kind of a, a way to do that as part of a transition? Well, again, electricity is, it's, it's, it's not needed unless you have something that needs electricity. Right. And so, yeah. you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Sure. You know, you basically want to enjoy all the amenities we have today that are made with fossil fuels, but you want, you want to eliminate fossil fuels. Well, like I say, you can't have your cake and eat it too. What are your take on nuclear energy? I mean, I know you're, um, again, we were talking about electricity. Um, why, why do you think green energy advocates are against nuclear energy? Isn't that like a proven clean energy? I mean, and potentially solve the issue of huge costs that you were talking about that Germany has now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nuclear is, is, is basically the, the thing that everybody, the world is going nuclear, except the United States. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, you want, you know, continuous, uninterruptible electricity and carbon-free electricity. Yeah, nuclear is the way to go. And um, with the technology, you know, we basically invest a lot of money to launch people onto space and onto the moon. That I, I think these small modular reactors, these SMRs you probably hear about, uh, they're much smaller than these big, you know, nuclear power plants. And I think they, I'll use the term cookie cutter. You can actually put them into locations and provide electricity for a hundred thousand people. And I think that is, you know, intermittent electricity is, is really not useful for businesses and they need continuous power. And, you know, if you're in an operating room, you don't want to get under interrupted power. And sure. Yeah. So like you say, I mean, um, most of the world is, is, is building nuclear power plants. Is the safety on nuclear power plants, do you think, um, uh, I think obviously that's probably the big concern with uh, green energy advocates, right? I mean, in general, the fear of um, um, you know, meltdowns, like you saw in the Fukushima and Japan and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, but take a look at those nuclear disasters that we had. Uh, I think the total number of deaths in the last 50 or 60 years have been like 10 or 12 people. Yeah. Although arguably you could say that they're, you know, especially the ones in, uh, uh, in, in, uh, in Russia was in the Ukraine. Uh, I forget which one that what was that called, but 
probably had a high number of people with cancer after that. But I mean, that being said, I'm just curious if you know if there's a way to, you know, to mitigate the risk of that kind of meltdown thing. Well, I think the, like I said, that's where I think we should be doing the investment is to invest in the technology because I think nuclear uh, probably has the best potential for providing unlimited electricity, emission-free electricity, and if we could focus on, quote, cleaning up the act to the public satisfaction, these, and like I say, Bill Gates is investing heavily in these small modular reactors. And yeah. uh, I think there's one going into Colorado that he's financing. But yeah, there's that's a technology because, you know, you want to build more wind and solar. Um, I just wrote an article about, I think wind's going to provide more waste and electricity because they only last like 20 years and we haven't found a way to recycle them. And the same thing with solar panels. We haven't found a way to effectively recycle them. The same thing with EV batteries. We haven't found a way to recycle them. So there's a big waste problem that's, that's coming because we're right at the beginning of the, uh, uh, disillusionment that they're going to be the solution to our emissions problem. But, you know, I, I think emissions in the United States have, have been decreasing again with the efficiencies of the refineries. Uh, I know I'm here in California and we have probably the cleanest refineries in the whole world. There's 700 in the world and we got the you know, cleanest ones. You know, how do you think that this is all going to play out? I mean, you would admit we're sort of in, in the middle of a transition right now. If you were, um, just based on what you know, presumably this transition at some point will will move into a new era. What does that new era look like? I think it's going to be acceptance, the fact that uh, wind and solar are not as great as they are are being promoted to be. And, you know, we have, you know, like I said, Sweden, I think, is setting the tone. Uh, I think a good part of Europe is recognizing the fact that, you know, electricity is, is, is not doing what it's supposed to do. It can't support our lifestyle. And it's just, it can be an acceptance. You know, do you want to live like we're living now? Most of the world would love to live like us. Right. You know, people in China and India and Africa would definitely love to have our lifestyle, but uh, they're they're not going to have it unless we basically do it with oil. And well, you know, today's solution is oil, and I think we have technology to, to minimize you know the emissions, keep it under control, but it's got to be you know conservation and uh, efficiencies. We don't want to waste anything that we have because, you know, the world's been around 8 billion years and like to be around for another you know, 8 yeah. billion years too. Sure. Um, I guess one last question would be, you know, having a, um, as you mentioned, you know, Biden um, talking about eliminating fossil fuels and that kind of thing. Has anything materially changed in the last two and a half years while he's been president? When it, well, it, you know, in, in the sense of, uh, or in the space, in the oil and gas industry? Only the fact that he has, I think, been instrumental in inflating the cost of energy. 
you know, I, here in California, the cost of fuel is up, the cost of electricity yeah. is up. And, uh, you know, for the people that can afford it, no problem. For the people that can't afford it, that's a problem. How did he do that? Um, how how did he his policies um, create an increase in price? He is uh, limiting oil production. Uh, I'll give you an example right here in California. Uh-huh. In California, uh, back in '95, between California oil production and imports from Alaska, we were pretty much self sufficient. We provided like ninety five percent of the demands of the state. And uh, all the governors in California have been promoting reduced oil production, reduced oil production. So today, we used to rely on imports from foreign countries for 5% of our oil in 95. Today, it's in excess of 60%. Oh, is that right? So we're not self-sufficient and, anymore. I was not aware of that. That's, yeah. And that is, that is costing us millions of dollars every day to import it. And... You know, California wants to keep our air clean, but in essence, what we're doing, we're just leaking emissions somewhere else. The the tankers that bring the oil in from OPEC, you know, halfway around the world, the tanker emissions, because they use a low-grade bunker fuel to power their ships, the emissions from those ships is double, double the entire mobile fleet of California. But that's okay, because our governor, Newsom, only breathes California air. He doesn't breathe that air. It's outside of California. That's okay. (laughs) Interesting stuff. Well, Ronald, um, where can we learn more about your work? Uh, You can just Google me. I'm on Wikipedia. Uh, There's links to, you know, my website, my books. Um, Yeah, just, just Google me and... Uh, Ronald Stein, energy consultant, and all of the stuff will come up. Um, I have opt-ed articles go out weekly, and they get exposed to about a half million people weekly. And I'm just, my, my focus is energy literacy. Sure. Like I say, I'm not pro-nuclear. I'm not pro-oil. I'm not pro-wind or solar. I would just like to, you know, provide electricity, provide the products, at, at the best and most cost-effective way for humanity. And there, like I say, there's a lot of people in this world that would love to live like us that they can't. And, um, yeah, and instead of driving up the cost of electricity uh, and the cost of fuel, it's, uh, it's really detrimental to everything because you drive up the cost of energy, you drive up the cost of lumber, the cost of eggs, the cost of bananas, and everything goes up. And the restaurant fees go up, and the need for increased uh, you know, minimum wage goes up. It's uh, it's just a snowballing effect. And so, I would uh, like to say I would love to have people be more energy literate, and to be able to talk about it at the dinner table. I would like to ask you know Biden identify something, something on his airplane, Air Force One, that was not made with fossil fuels. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Ronald. Again, the website uh, looks like it's ptsadvance.com. Um, and I right, appreciate your time. Company, right. Appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us. Buck, you have a fantastic day. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, actually. I didn't know that so many products were made of oil derivatives. 
but it is kind of eye-opening. Uh, anyway, I'm hoping you're having a good summer. It's coming to an end soon, obviously. Uh, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.